Still in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. As we study the deity of Christ. Matthew chapter 16 verse 13. The Bible says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? So this is the question tonight. Who is Jesus? And most of us would say something to the effect of what? Son of God, right? He is the Son of God who came, right? Perfect life, death, burial, resurrection again. But... When the name Jesus comes up in popular culture, it's usually like this. People will say, oh, I believe in Jesus. A good follow-up question is, which Jesus do you believe in? I grabbed this image off of the almighty Google. All right? And we've got Jesus as basically a guru. Okay? All right? So it's like Jesus guru. There's actually a temple. This is an amazing thing. I learned this a couple years ago uh, when I was teaching world religions class. I'd never heard of this before. There's actually a Hindu temple in India that's dedicated to, guess who? Jesus. Yeah, very interesting. And when you think about our culture today, a lot of people are, are all about niceness, right? You know, you go to McDonald's and you can, you can have it. Have it your way. You want fries with that. So anybody who's about peace, anybody who says things like um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, let's just go ahead and go with turn the other cheek, that goes over well in today's culture, right? So people are, by and large, except for unless you find a really, really angry atheist. I think, John, you've had some experiences with that before. Just, I mean, people and. You bring up the Lord, they just get really angry. A lot of people today, even if they don't claim to be Christians, especially a lot of the New Age movement, would say, we respect Jesus. Jesus is a great teacher. So then then it's almost to that awkward situation, right? Like we're trying to tell them about the Lord, but they're like, oh, Jesus, I, I love Jesus. Jesus is a great guy. He taught some great things. I mean, his teachings on ethics are unparalleled. Sermon on the Mount, when he begins to talk about uh, hypocrisy, right? Like if you've got a, a log in your own eye, take that out. You know, that people love that, right? People love to talk about hypocrites. So then we're at a crossroads. It's like we both say that we love Jesus, but we're not talking about the same Jesus. Exactly. Jesus is a teacher, and Jesus is there to help you have a good life, right? Teach you how to live, but he's not the risen Son of God. So here's um, the text um, that, that we just read. This is the version in Luke. Um, it's captured in, in Luke and also uh, Matthew. So here we're going to look at a couple big words tonight. One would be Ebionism. Let's all say Ebionism. Ebionism. All right. Okay. That's. I'm sure you had conversations today about Ebionism, right? We we all did. That just came up. Um, this is an old, 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 uh, we could call it a heresy, a, a wrong teaching about this question. Jesus is man, and Jesus is also God. Here's how it goes. Jesus was an ordinary man, possessed of unusual but not superhuman or supernatural gifts of righteousness and wisdom. 
they rejected, speaking of the Ebionites, uh, the virgin birth, maintaining that Jesus was born to Joseph and Mary in normal fashion. All this is on your notes if you guys want to take notes upon top of the notes that go on to the second page of notes. And uh, <coughs> So Ebionism, right? And here's, here's the way that it, that it basically shakes down. Jesus was a good guy, good Jew, okay? And then at the baptism... Remember the baptism where he was baptized by John the Baptist? And then the voice, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends as a dove. The Ebionite says it was at that point that Jesus became filled with, quote, the spirit of Christ. And that being filled with that spirit is what enabled Jesus to do all of what he did until the time that Jesus kind of got himself killed. Let that sink in for just a second. So Jesus, good guy. But what made this deny that we as evangelical Christians hold to be, quote unquote, Jesus? What What are the huge missing puzzle pieces out of this? Jesus died on the cross, he was resurrected, and he showed that he wasn't just a man, that he was, he was supernatural, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is fully God, right? But like if, if Jesus, and this is, this is a big thing, in fact, this goes back to, I think it, was it last, was it last summer? When did we move? I can't remember when it was when we voted to change state conventions. Was it, it was last summer? Yeah. And one of the key things that we talked about with our guys in the, in the meeting before we presented the church was there was a person uh, who was very, very up there in the General Baptist Convention of Virginia who said that the virgin birth is not something that we need to be adamant about because it's only mentioned, I think, in a couple of the Gospels. If, if Jesus, yeah, if Jesus is not virgin born, then you've got, then you have to say this, right? Like this, this is logical. It, it's, it's not a sound argument, but it's a logical argument in the sense that how do you explain Jesus doing all these things? If you don't believe he's the virgin born son of God, if he's the virgin born son of God, then he is God in the flesh. Case closed. But if he's not virgin born, then how do you explain all these supernatural miracles? They say, baptism, that's when it started. Kind of like Jesus got juiced up with the Holy Spirit, and that's what enabled him. So here's, that's, that's Ebionism. The conclusion is that Jesus was just a man who had the power of God for a certain time. Um, other one would be Arianism. This is not, some people confuse this with like the Aryan race theory of, of uh, Hitler and so forth. This is a guy named, named Arius there um, in the 4th century. So this is, this is a lot the same with modern day Jehovah's Witnesses. And it goes like this. Um, the Word, John 1.1, 1, 1, um, Jesus is therefore a created being, although the first and the highest of the beings. While the Word is a perfect creature, not really in the same class with the other creatures, he is not self-existent. So here you have Jesus is the top of the top of the top of the created things. 
Why may that be a problem? Yeah, like, like may, maybe we could go to uh, Colossians 1.15, that in him, right, all, all things were made that, that are made. We could go with John 1.1, 1, 1, in the be- beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word what? Was God. So Jesus was not created. So here's one response, is you could say that what they did here is they were guilty of what, sometimes it's easy to do if you've got an agenda, They came to the scriptures and they totally ignored all the texts that had to do with Jesus clearly being deity. Uh, And the second thing that that they did is they misunderstood the texts that speak of Jesus' temporary subordination. Okay, And what that is is that when Jesus came in the flesh, Jesus was temporarily subordinated, subordinate to the will of the Father. didn't mean that he lost his status of deity, but it meant that voluntarily through uh, the act of self-sacrifice, Jesus we could say, limited himself to be within a human body and to grow as we grew. But what they misunderstand is they think that when Jesus came in the flesh, that the essence of who he was changed like the God part was not there. But what the, what the incarnation is, is it's a temporary subordination of Jesus to do the will of the Father, Right? which is the will of the Father through Jesus being living in the flesh, was to live a perfect life, die a perfect death, to redeem the people of God. That's in all who would believe. That's the point and the purpose of the incarnation. What they say is that Jesus, when he did that, he ceased to kind of be God because he never really was equal with God, but God created him kind of like a father creates a son except without a mother. You confused yet? That's the position. So in 325, the church got together um, and they, they voted and they said, this, this is not, um, I don't think it was a Baptist business meeting because they, they finished it. And, uh, but they, they, they said that this is um, something that's, that's not true. So this is basically what Jehovah's Witnesses hold to today. They won't say that we're Arians, but that's what they, they hold to. They believe that Jesus was a created being. Equal with Michael. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. It's it just. I mean, he's in the same. Well, I guess the Arians would hold that Jesus is is unparalleled, but that he is a created being. So interesting. We'll go on to the next point here. Um, we're going to look if we have time. We're going to skip through these texts. Um, Seven, seven keys, we're going to have the verses are there um, on how we can know that Jesus is deity, um, Jesus is God. Number one is that Jesus claimed to have power over angels. Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom uh, all the causes, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now whose angels are they? Yeah, the Son of Man, who Jesus called himself. So you've got to ask yourself the question, if Jesus is just some subordinate creature, then how does a subordinate creature own other subordinate creatures? Only God has ownership of that. Um, and then also, this is interesting, Luke twelve eighty nine, 89, uh, and, and it says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of whom? Angels of God. So, if the angels are, I guess we could say, owned or governed by God, 
then when it says that the angels are sent by the Son of Man and they are his angels, then who is Jesus? He is God. In Luke uh, chapter 15, verse 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So number two is that Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins. This is absolutely crazy. Remember uh, Mark chapter 2 with the paralytic coming through the roof? Remember Jesus was going to tell them, right, like get up and walk? And they're like, oh, you can't do it. Jesus said, well, which is easier to say? Get up and walk or your sins are forgiven. And um, the reaction there of the scribes was this in verse 7. Why does this man speak thus? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God? Now, where did Jesus go every Sabbath? Yeah. Yeah, he went to be taught the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus was so smart. That's kind of an understatement, right? Like, dude, I'm gonna, he's so smart. He's like God, you know. Um, but when he was, was a kid, he was 12, he was there teaching all the leaders. So you're not talking about a guy, Jesus, right? Who's just not understanding the way it works that there is one God, right? Hero Israel, here is where the Lord, the Lord our God is one. He knew that. That was ingrained within their, their hearts and their natures. So why would Jesus, knowing what the Bible says about the oneness of God, make a claim to do what only God can do? A.K.A. forgive sins. Like you said, John, goes back to the resurrection. Maybe that's because he was, he was deity. Um, and also in Matthew chapter 25, remember the parable about the sheep and the goats? Jesus talks about judging the world. And if you judge the world, then that probably means that you have what status? God. At this point, um, some of y'all may say, well, Jeff, this is pretty basic stuff. We know that Jesus is the Son of God, so the Bible says. But there are a lot of scholars in the world who will tell you, I don't know if I've seen this on the History Channel yet, but they will tell you, and how many of you guys have heard this, that Jesus never claimed to be God. That that was something that was put, that was imposed on the Bible hundreds of years later by the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, so what we're going to do these last few points is just see that Jesus um, was the real thing. Number three, Jesus claimed a unique status with the Father. John ten twenty, Jesus says, "I and the Father are one." Uh, I went to visit a, um, it was a, a masjid. It's like a a mosque in Greenville a couple of years ago before I moved up here. And uh, I had one guy who knew that I was interviewing the imam, and he came up and got, I mean, I, I was just like, I don't even know you got up in my face. I know what you're thinking, that that verse in John where Jesus says, I and the Father are one, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. And he just had his, this Muslim guy's finger in my face, and I was kind of like, my name's Jeff, you know, like, what, what do you do? So the imam kind of just did it, you know, settle down. But anyway, John 10.30 always has that. Heart meaning for me being. Uh, John 14, uh, 7. Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Based upon what? Seeing and knowing Jesus. So that's a pretty unique status, right? Once again, we're not talking about somebody who doesn't understand uh, Jewish monotheism. John 8, uh, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, now this is the big one, this is the biggest no-no you can make as a Jew. 
Before Abraham was, what? I am. Remember that, that, that was the question? Moses said, what, are they, what am I going to say when they ask who sent me? You tell them, I am. That I am. So, now here's, here's the result. Verse 59, John 8. So they did what? Picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So right here, Jesus struck to the nerve, the very core of Judaism, in claiming a unique status with the Father that people would only later understand after, um, after the resurrection, which actually the Roman centurion, remember he got it? He looked up and he said, surely this man is the Son of God. Um, in Bible prophecies in the Old Testament, is there anything about, did he fill all those prophecies? Was there anything there about the Virgin Mary, or Virgin giving birth to um, in Isaiah chapter 7, yeah, Isaiah chapter 7, um, verse 1, I think it's verse 1. Let's, let's flip back there. That's actually a really important thing there, John. Um, Isaiah chapter 7 speaks about Emmanuel. That's <clears throat> not verse 1, it's here. Yeah, um, verse number 14, therefore... Uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, I think a lot of it goes back to, to I'm writing a paper right now on, on um, how you know. Um, like, well, what are proofs of the gospel? And Jesus comes back time and time again to the issue of sin. It's really blowing my mind. Because a lot of it, Jesus is saying, like when they, they said, show us a sign, he said, the asking for a sign is a sign of a wicked and adulterous generation. The only sign that will be given is a sign of Jonah. Three days in the whale, came back. Jesus is like, the only thing I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to give you a lot of stuff, but I'm not going to placate to your desires for just tricks. So, I mean, according, according to New Testament, which I think we should do apologetics and try to give reasons, Jesus is like, the reason why you don't believe in me is because you're wicked. And you know that I'm light, but you love darkness. That's why you run away from the light. It's, I mean, it's, it's been rocking my world this last couple of weeks. But I think that's, that's one of the best questions that can be asked. You know, I mean, what, what exactly is it that, that people ultimately reject? Um, well, these Jews were scholars, you know, they yeah. were all the, all the priests. And I know. Fulfilled every prophecy that was mm-hmm. they read, and they studied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just understand what, how they reject them so, so bad. I would say that, you know, if the, I think a lot of times we, we think that we're a lot more intellectual than we really are, just as humans, myself included. That we think, well, well I think, no, we, we feel based upon our past and based upon what we would like to have ourselves feel justified in. That's why a lot of people, it's not an issue, it's not an issue of evidence, it's an issue of the heart. And I know, I'll, I'll, me, that I, just I, goes so many ways. He, I mean, he's all over the, the Old Testament, so I, mm-hmm. like, I cannot believe. You know? Yeah, I would say a really important verse um, is, I think it's Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Um, it says that, for the natural man understands not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. So the Bible says that we can, Romans chapter 1, we can know that God exists. Romans 2, we can know in our heart, our conscience, that he's a moral creator. 
But as far as understanding the gospel and so forth and so on, that's an issue of the Holy Spirit opening somebody's eyes. Because the natural man, the natural person, it's about me, right? And that's the way we were before Christ saved us. It's about me. But once a person's eyes are open, they understand what Jesus was talking about. Like in Luke chapter 9, to where Jesus says, to save your life is to lose it and to lose your life for my sake in the gospel. In that act, you save it and you find it. Or the world says the way that you save your act is you do exactly what Jesus said not to do. You gain the whole world. Jesus says you gain the whole world. Doesn't matter hill of beans if you lose your very own soul. So I think it's just like it's a total, it's a total uh, reversal. The gospel logic. Like if they were looking for the kingdom, what was like a kingdom? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, we'll try try to knock out the rest of this. Uh, number four, uh, the way that we know that Jesus is deity is Jesus' trial was due to his, we could call this his God claim. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 7, the Jews answered him and said, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the what? Son of God. So here's the thing. You can talk to some liberal scholar or person who tells you Jesus never made the claim to be God, but you can say, well, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people thought he did. You may not think he did as an American in the 21st century, but the people who are actually there, like you can go ahead and lay the smack down on this. This is, this is a good one for skeptics. Those people who actually heard Jesus in real life, they thought he was making the claim that he was God to the point that they're willing to follow through with having him illegally executed, which is pretty, pretty intense. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, uh, 63 through 65. Uh, we're not going to go through all of that, but it's, it's the point of where they said um, in verse... So we'll, we'll try to work through it. Because once, once we get going on these verses, I don't know if we can ever finish. Uh, but Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. He's pushing him in a corner. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated, this is craziness, at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Verse 65, then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. So according to the high priest, this is huge. The greatest theologian in Judaism at the time who was living said, Jesus has just let everyone know, including me, including you guys, that he thinks that he is the son of God. Of God. Um, number five, the book of John, uh, John one through three. I mean, the Word was with God. Word was what was God. That goes all the way to the end of the book of John, um, to where it says, I think it's in chapter twenty. I didn't have it in the notes. Chapter twenty, verse twenty-one, where it says, "And these things were written so that you may believe in Jesus Christ." That's it. So, so the, the point of beginning with the pre-existent, or I guess we could say the pre-incarnate Jesus, going back to the beginning, whenever that was, that'll make your head hurt. You guys ever try to think about eternity? It's almost kind of a scary thought in a way. So he goes all the way here to the point of Jesus, um, his resurrection. 
Uh, also, the book of Hebrews, y'all, this is such a such a survey. The thesis of the book of Hebrews is basically Jesus is superior to the angels, superior to Moses, and superior to the high priests. That's the whole point, especially Hebrews chapter 1 through 4. It's saying this, Jesus is not an angel. Because some people thought that, that he was. Uh, number 7, the resurrection. And so, um, we'll go ahead and... This is something that we covered back in uh, our Trinity discussion to where the Greek Old Testament that was translated from Hebrew, though the Hebrew words for God um, were often translated with the Greek phrase kurios. Well, when the New Testament was written, they used uh, theos for God the Father most of the time. So how would you still use a word that says that Jesus is God, but Jesus is not the Father? You use, this is crazy, this is awesome. You use the Old Testament word that was used to translate the word for God from Hebrew to Greek. And you apply that, if you had read the Old Testament in Greek, and you would have seen God, you know, like God, you know, split the Red Seas, you would have seen Kyrios. So what the New Testament writers did is they said it is, Jesus is Kyrios. Jesus is Lord, a.k.a. Jesus is God. Jesus is not the Father, but Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. Um, And so uh, I think the key here, the point of application, since we have like less than three minutes or four minutes to apply all this, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, this would be a great verse to commit to memory. I think it's uh, just very, very encouraging. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Amen? But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This phrase, but the one who in every respect has been tempted, past tense, as we present tense are. That means that Jesus has the experience, he's been through more than we could ever be through, but yet because he's endured that, he's able to identify with us. So what that means is, number one, Jesus' humanity provides a connection to our humanity. Now imagine if this, this wouldn't work anyway, but if Jesus had just been an angel. Jesus had never experienced what it was like to sweat, to be hungry, to be hurt, to be hit then it would be kind of hard for him to identify with us. Uh, Number two, Jesus' deity provides deliverance from our humanity. All right? Amen? Because it's through that. See, if Jesus was just a guy, Ebionism, if Jesus was just a guy who was fired up by God, then he wouldn't really have a way to deliver us from our humanity. But number three here, Jesus' victory gives me confidence that I can change. Right? Because these two, his humanity and deity, work together, everything's going to, uh, he's going to be able to have change. So number four, Jesus' victory makes it possible to have a relationship with God. And it's only because he was human, so he could have that connection to us, and it's only because he was virgin born that he was deity. See how this connects together? The gospel is so brilliant. It connects together, so because of that, I can have a relationship with with God, So I think this is very, 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 very practical. And um, I just want to encourage you that when you go through that dark night of the soul that the Lord has endured, 
He has endured and he has passed um, temptations in every respect. So, y'all have any any questions, observations as we close? Alrighty. Well, we'll go ahead and pray for us, and then uh, we'll head over to Hardy's and have a little Costa Rica mission trip meeting. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would continue to apply that to our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have endured every temptation and that you can give us power. You can give us the ability to overcome uh, whatever uh, may draw us in, whether it's the fear of people or the fear of the future or whether it's uh, just some sin that lurks in our past. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen.